If you're sharing a problem with someone over lunch, a friend, you'll probably spend an hour just telling the story. So when you go into the presence of God, don't just kind of cut that out with a couple of lines, Lord, you know the problem. It is very important that David actually lays out the problem in the presence of God. He's unburdening his soul. Welcome to Open the Bible with Pastor Colin Smith. I'm David Pick, and Colin, that's a great thing about the Psalms. David does unburden his heart. Today we're in Psalm 10, and he's asking God this question, why is it that the wicked seem to prosper when people who are trying to honor you and do the right thing, you seem to be hiding your face from them? Isn't it really helpful that we've got a prayer in the Bible in which David's unburdening himself about mm -hmm. the, the wickedness, the sheer evil of the world around him? And guess what? The world hasn't changed. We're going to look today at a five-point profile of a wicked person. And after I preached the message in, in the church here, I was very struck by the fact that amongst many responses, one parent came up and said, you know, I've just taken my children out of Park District soccer because every one of these marks of wickedness are in the 11-year-old kids who are on the soccer team. We live in a world in which we're surrounded by marks of wickedness that burden the hearts of young people, teenagers, older people. And thank God that we can pray in this world. And we're looking at a psalm that will teach us how to do that. We desperately need to know how to come to God in the sheer darkness of this world in which we live. So let's jump right in and look at these five points in Psalm 10 as we begin the message, How to Pray When the Wicked Seem to Be Winning. Here's Colin. Today we come to uh, Psalm 10, and just straight away I want you to notice that there are two very striking things about this psalm. Uh, if you wonder where I got the title, How to Pray When the Wicked Seem to Be Winning, it's just by reading the psalm. It's very obvious that the wicked are the central focus. And then the other theme that is obvious is that God seems, from verse 1, to be very far away. And of course these two things uh, go together. When the wicked seem to be winning, God seems to be far away. Away. So uh, these are the two broad themes of this psalm that we're going to look at together today. Now notice first then uh, that David is praying when the wicked seem to be winning. There are 18 verses in this psalm and 11 of them are given to a sustained description of the wicked. So just to go through that, verse 2, in arrogance, the wicked hotly pursue the poor. Verse 3, for the wicked boasts of the desires of his soul. Verse 4, in the pride of his face, the wicked does not seek God. Verse 5 uh, continues the theme, his ways prosper, that is, the wicked's ways prospers. Verse 6, he says in his heart, that's the wicked say in his, in his or her heart, I shall not be moved. Verse 7, his mouth is filled with cursing. Verse 8, he sits in ambush in the villages, and on and on. So the whole of the first 11 verses is a sustained description, one theme, it's all about the wicked. So there's no doubt what the psalm is about, it's about wicked people, it's about wickedness being on the rise, evil being on the increase. It is an outpouring of prayer, and it is an outpouring of grief and distress that godly people feel when they see evil becoming rampant in the land. And that is the position that David, the king of Israel, was in. He saw evil multiplying, and he takes time to lay out the whole problem before God. 
Uh, here's, as we're picking up little lessons about prayer all the way along, uh, here's one. Don't rush over the problem. If you're sharing a problem with someone over lunch, a friend, uh, you'll probably spend an hour just telling the story. So when you go into the presence of God, don't just kind of cut that out with a couple of lines, Lord, you know the problem. It is very important that David actually lays out the problem in the presence of God. He's unburdening his soul, and he's telling God what he's seeing happen everywhere around him. Now, in uh, this unburdening of his soul, David really gives us a five-point profile of a wicked person. Uh, five-point profile of what wickedness looks like, and I want us to pick this up. The first um, point in that profile is, is pride, verse 2, 3, 4, and 6. Notice that the wicked are proud. Verse 2, in arrogance, the wicked pursues the poor. Verse 3, the wicked boasts, there's pride, of the desires of his soul. Isn't that an interesting phrase? So, Everything that a wicked person wants to do is defined by that person as a virtue. Here's a person who wants to go with any inclination that they find within their own soul, and the reason that it is wicked to boast of the desires of your soul is that that is to put yourself in the place of God, who alone is to determine what is good. Verse 4, in the pride of his face... The wicked does not seek him. So there's pride again. Verse 6, in his heart he says, I shall not be moved. So the wicked person is characteristically supremely confident, feels that the future is with him or her. Verse 6, throughout all generations I shall not meet with adversity. So the wicked person seems to be very confident or at least presents uh, him or herself is very confident that there is nothing to worry about. So, there's the first distinctive of wickedness. It always manifests itself in pride. And whenever you see pride, you know the root from which it comes, wickedness. Second distinguishing mark, first proud, second foul-mouthed, foul-mouthed. Verse 3 and 7, the one greedy for gain curses. Notice that word, curses. Verse 7, his mouth is filled with cursing, as well as deceit and oppression, and under his tongue are mischief and iniquity. So, whenever you have foul language, cursing, coming either from the mouth or else just erupting from the heart, you know the root that it comes from. It's wickedness. Number three, greed. Verse three and verse nine, the one greedy for gain curses and renounces the Lord. And he lurks that he may seize the poor because that's how he uh, gains by taking advantage of the poor. And it is greed that is the root of this. And whenever you see that greed, acquisitiveness, gaining a foothold in the soul, you know what it comes from. Its root is wickedness. And then number four, fourth distinguishing mark of wickedness, fourth manifestation of it is violence. Um, verse 9, he lurks in ambush, notice the picture, like a lion in the thicket. Now, a lion in the thicket, of course, lies very, very quietly and then suddenly erupts. And that's the picture. 
The wicked person is volatile. The wicked person is given to outbreaks of rage that are so destructive, unpredictable, frightening. Everything seems quite quiet and normal in the home, and then this person suddenly springs up. That's like the lion, you see, offloads, and everyone says, where in the world did that come from? And actually, when you read this psalm, you realize where it came from, that the root of it is wickedness. That's what it is. And this is a fourth way in which it manifests itself. It's terribly destructive, like the lion in the thicket. Number five, fifth part of the profile of a wicked person, that they are godless. And this runs all throughout uh, the psalm. The wicked, verse 4, do not seek God. Verse 13, the wicked uh, renounce God. But what is very fascinating to me here is that the Holy Spirit has given us not only a description of wickedness, but actually an insight into how the wicked person thinks. So we have this repeated phrase of what this person's thoughts are and what this person says in their heart. Only the Holy Spirit could reveal that. But this is being revealed to us in the psalm. Now, it comes in three places, verse uh, 4 and 11 and 13. Look at verse 4 first. In the pride of his face, the wicked do not seek God. All his thoughts, so here's the Holy Spirit revealing the inner thoughts of a wicked person, and all his thoughts are, there is no God. You don't see this, of course. This is not immediately manifest. But what is going on inside the mind of a wicked person, the Holy Spirit is revealing here, is that he or she is constantly telling him or herself there is no God. It is an active pattern of thought, and it has to continue to be an active pattern of thought to keep suppressing, that's Romans chapter 1 and verse 18 and following, the evidence of God that such a person finds in their own soul, let alone in the world around them. So we often speak in the church about preaching the gospel to yourself every day. As a Christian, I want always to be telling myself who I am in Christ and what Jesus Christ and who Jesus Christ is for me and what He has done on my behalf. Constantly telling myself that so that I will be able to live in a Christian way. What happens for the wicked person is that that person has to constantly be telling uh, him or herself, there is no God, there is no God, so that they can live according to the desires of their flesh in which they boast. And here's the thing that is absolutely fascinating. While constantly saying there is no God, all his thoughts are there is no God, verse 4, Notice that there are other thoughts that also simultaneously run in the wicked person's mind. Verse 11, in his heart, so again we're getting a revelation of what's going on in the wicked person's heart. He says in his heart, God has forgotten. Ah, now this is a different line of argument then. Verse 13, why does the wicked renounce God and say in his heart, same phrase, you will not call to account. So, I want you to notice something very important. There's an obvious contradiction here, isn't there? A contradiction that lives in the heart of the wicked person. On the one hand, all his thoughts are, verse 4, there is no God. But on the other hand, he's got this alternative line of thought that's going on in verse 11 that says, God 
I'm telling myself there is no God, but at the same time I'm saying God has forgotten. You see the tension there? Or God will not call to account, verse 13. Derek Kidner, who has a wonderful commentary on the Psalms, calls this the inner dialogue of a wicked person. A wicked person will almost certainly not admit this to you, very rarely so. But what the Holy Spirit is telling us here is that behind what you see in a person who is deeply resistant to God, there is invariably an inner dialogue that is going on. Uh, On the one hand, this person is constantly trying to say to himself, there's no God, there's no God, so I can live as I want. On the other hand, this person is finding it very difficult to succeed in completely eliminating the idea of God. The sense of the divine presence keeps coming up in one way or another. And so uh, he finds himself or she finds herself saying, well, you know, God's not going to bring anything to account. Nothing's going to happen. He never does anything anyway. And that tension lives. See, here's the thing for the wicked person. However often the person says, and there may be someone here, and you've been saying, oh, there is no God. I'm just trying to push God away. But however hard you try and do that, it's very hard to push God away because you yourself are made in the image of God. You can't really get away from that. And the whole world in which you live was created by God and has manifestations of His invisible uh, glory and His divine power. And so here's this inner tension that is going, be greatly encouraged when you are praying for someone you care about who is deeply resistant to God, and there's this hard face. And remember this, there's an inner dialogue that's going on within that person. They may never admit it to you, of course. He has to keep saying to himself, she has to keep saying to herself, there is no God because their own nature made in the image of God, let alone the world in which they live, is always suggesting otherwise. You're listening to Open the Bible with Pastor Colin Smith and the message, How to Pray When the Wicked Seem to Be Winning. And if you've missed any of the message today, or if you've missed any of our previous messages, you can always catch up or go back and listen again online. Come to our website, openthebible.org.uk. You can also find us as a podcast if you go to your favourite podcast site, search for Open the Bible UK and subscribe to receive regular updates. Back to the message now. We're in Psalm 10. Here's Colin. So here is this five-point profile of a a wicked person, proud, foul-mouthed, greedy, violent and godless, highly resistant to God. This is what wickedness looks like. Now, just before we move on, what that means for for us as we try and just pick up all that the Scripture has for us, if ever you see a trace of pride, foul-mouthed language, greed, violence, or resistance to God, if ever you see a trace of any of these in your own soul, deal with it decisively. What I mean by that is confess it to God. Renounce it completely. 
Ask for the cleansing power of the blood of Jesus Christ to be applied to this, this pride, this cursing, this greed, this resistance to God, this eruption that's taking place within the soul. This is wickedness, so don't mess with it. It is poison, and if you allow it to take root in your soul, it has the power to destroy you completely. Now, let's pick up a lesson from the School of Prayer just very briefly here before we, before we move on. The very fact that David is praying with this intensity about wickedness when the wicked seem to be winning indicates to us that wickedness is not a new phenomenon. It only takes new forms. Wickedness is not a new phenomenon. It only takes new forms. In other words, it dresses up in different garb. In one generation, wickedness is clothed in hypocrisy. In another generation, it is clothed in defiance. I think we're living in a transition in our culture between these two, and the world seems to be very, very different. What I want us to understand from the psalm is that at root, the wickedness that runs throughout human nature crosses cultures and it crosses generations, and there is nothing very, very new under the sun. Now, I've been very interested just to pick up some statistics. For example, it was always said, and I've heard it said many, many times, oh, about a third of all Americans are in church on Sunday. The actual number, and this has been done by extensive research of an actual head count as opposed to estimates, there's been some... Um, extensive research that has led to a hard figure now of about 17% only. 17% of people are in church of some form at least once a month. Um, that's the, defined as regularity. So suddenly we have moved to a situation, it appears, where 83% of our population in this country are outside of the church with the probable exception of Christmas and perhaps even Easter. And that feels like a huge, huge change that is going on. And in one sense, it is. But at the deepest level, remember this, that actually the human heart is exactly the same. What is, the change is this, that in the last generation, we had more people sitting in church resisting God. Now we have people, more people, resisting God and not bothering to show up for the event. But at the heart, the core of the thing, human nature does not actually change. So John Calvin says very, very helpfully, you know, when we tend to get discouraged and, uh, you know, our faith can be shaken and we see evil on the rise and Christians can uh, even be tempted towards the sin of despair, uh, he says this, it will lighten our grief to remember that nothing befalls us in this day which the church of God has not experienced in days of old. In other words, it is always the same. We're, we're dealing with the same issues that David did a thousand years before Christ. And there will be times when the wicked seem to be winning. Let's not be naive about what we ourselves say that we believe in regards to sin and evil and its power. As Christians, we say that we believe that... Uh, 
Men and women are born sinners, that it is in our nature, that the default of human nature is that we are resistant to God, that we are hostile to God. Then why in all the world, if we actually believe that, do we so often end up sounding like moralists who are deeply shocked when sinners demonstrate that what they want to do is sin? And when every time a new piece of technology is developed, guess what? Sinners find a new way to captivate that for sinful purposes. Why should that surprise us? It's how human nature is. It's why we need to be redeemed. It's why the only hope of the world is in Jesus Christ and in Him crucified. So this psalm is immensely helpful. I come here and I say, oh, what we're experiencing with this sense of wickedness on the rise is exactly where David was a thousand years before Christ. What's new? This is the world in which we live. This is the world in which we suffer. This is the world in which we bear witness. And the more we get off the kind of naive pietism that can so easily characterize us, the more we will become Christians who actually learn how to pray because of the world in which we live and the God we have. And the more we learn how to pray and the more we learn the nature of this world, the more we will long for the new heaven and the new earth. But it will be the home of righteousness where sin will be no more. And if we don't get it, guess what? We'll be comfortable middle-class people who are saying, how much can God do for me now? There's all the difference in the world. So this kind of praying is going to change the very nature of who we are. And it's precisely the kind of praying we need to learn when we are experiencing in, in fresh ways the disturbance and the dislocation of sensing great shifts within our own culture and, and evil wickedness evidently on the rise. So pray when the wicked seem to be winning. You've been listening to Open the Bible with Pastor Colin Smith and the message, How to Pray When the Wicked Seem to be Winning. And we'll continue with this message next time, so I hope you'll be able to join us for that. And don't forget, if you ever miss one of our broadcasts, you can always catch up or go back and listen again online at our website, openthebible.org.uk. You can also find us as a podcast. Follow the link on our website or go to your favourite podcast site and search for Open the Bible UK. Subscribe to the podcast to receive regular updates. At Open the Bible, we welcome contact with our listeners. If you've been blessed by Pastor Colin Smith's teaching and you'd like to reach out to us, there are several ways you can do that. You can write to us at Open the Bible, P.O. Box 1420, Cheltenham, GL50, 9PG. Or you can phone us on 0330-335-8089. If we're not available when you call, leave a message for us and we'll return your call. And you can find all those contact details on our website, openthebible.org.uk. Open the Bible is able to stay on this station and on the internet as a result of generous gifts from our listeners, people just like you. And if that's something you'd like to begin to do, if you're able to set up a new donation to Open the Bible in the amount of £5 per month or more, 
we'd love to send you as a thank you gift a book, Psalms by the Day, and it's written by the Bible scholar Alec Mottier. Colin, who would you say this book is written for? Oh, well, this would be a great resource for anyone who wants to expand the capacity of their own heart. You know, the marvelous thing about the Psalms is that they address every kind of human experience. I mean, you've got joy here, you've got depression, you've got faith, doubt, peace, raging, anger. I mean, the the whole range of human experience is in the Psalms. And Psalms by the Day is just a wonderful resource to open up these marvelous prayers in which we're able to lay before the Lord what we're feeling in our own hearts and what we're experiencing in our own lives and seek from him the help that he alone is able to give. Well, we'd love to send you a copy of this book as a free gift if you're able to set up a new donation to the work of Open the Bible in the amount of £5 per month or more. Full details on our website, openthebible.org.uk. For Open the Bible and for Pastor Colin Smith, I'm David Pick, and I hope you'll be able to join us again next time. It's hard enough to pray when the wicked seem to be winning, but how do you pray when God seems far away? Find out next time on Open the Bible.